The evil of corruption reaches into every corner of the world. Corruption lies at the heart of the most urgent problems we face. Welcome to Confidential Brief, where Chad Thomas takes you into the stories behind the issues facing our society. A very good afternoon to you. My name is Chad Thomas. You're listening to Confidential Brief. It's Monday, 29th of August, 2022. And today we woke up with the news that uh, two very senior um, Eskom members had been arrested, that being Brian Molefe and Enoch Singh, in connection with a 93 million rand locomotive deal, which was deemed to be corrupt. Now, all in all, generally this would be good news, but I, for one, am very jaded. I look at the timing always. Timing for me is critical. And why is timing so critical? Well, what's happening um, less than two and a half months from now ought to be the beginning of the NEC, the elective conference of the ruling party. And the ruling party is standing on the soapbox of being anti-corruption this year. They have stood on the soapbox previously, but never before has it been so prevalent. Because you must remember, this is the first elective conference since COVID. And we're very proud of our government during the COVID period because they took a stand, they had lockdown, and our joy was short-lived because we then heard about the massive PPE fraud. So, is our government serious about fighting corruption, or are these arrests to appease those who are going to be voting at this elective conference? Well, we'll see what happens after the elective conference in early 2023. And then as we carry on through 2023, we're going to see whether or not there's a resurgence in arrests once again. Why, of course? Timing, as I mentioned at the outset of the conversation, we'll be heading towards the 2024 national elections. All very interesting stuff. Corruption in our country has robbed so many people of the absolute basics, and people need to be held accountable. I'd like to remind you that the views expressed on the show aren't necessarily those of myself or that of Chayefem. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. So today we, we're changing topic ever so slightly. We're not going to be concentrating on fraud and corruption. I want to be talking more about the fact that there are so many people outside of what we see to be mainstream government that are tasked with doing things for their fellow South Africans and they're actually associations of, of, of groups of individuals that serve together in different capacities and are now assisting one another, and they form this brotherhood and this camaraderie. Now, a lot of our listeners would be my age group, maybe above. I like to think I'm one of the younger and one of the last of that particular generation. But a lot of you will remember when you were in Standard 8 getting a form from the then South African Defense Force that you had to fill out on your 16th birthday, and the school had to stamp it to say that at the end of that year you would be going through to Standard 9 and that you would be studying further. And if not, you literally became the property of the state. And for two years, and God knows how many years thereafter with camps, you were expected to serve your country in uniform. A lot of people were anti this. A lot of people embraced this. One thing I do remember about that list that we got, that document we had to fall in, fill in, is it gave you all these different sections you could you could say you'd want to be a part of. There was the medics, there was the navy, there was the air force, there was the army, and then it became more specific, and it mentioned units like the parabat, units like the special forces. Of course, all the the money in the class they were the ones that would like. And I suppose it was also, you know. Childish bravado, because remember we were 16, we didn't feel 16 at the time, but we were 16. 
And those of the childish bravado would be standing up and going, well, I'm going to be in the special forces. I'm going to be doing this. I'm going to be doing that. I can't remember what I chose. I ended up being an MP, and after the MPs, I did a court change to INT. But the guys that we held in high esteem, of course, were always those from the special forces, the Reckies, because we knew that so few of them ever actually got that operator's badge. We're very fortunate today. We've got two Reckies sitting with us in studio today. Lucky Chuambia, and I promised him I'd get it right, Chuambia, and Mark Natilovitz. And we're going to be chatting about their journey, and we're going to be talking about where they are today and whether that camaraderie still exists. Lucky, a very good afternoon to you, sir. Good afternoon to you. Mark, good afternoon. Mark, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon. Uh, can I maybe just say something before we go any further? Um, one of our comrades, colleagues, um, Mbusi Kele, passed away last night from cancer, very tragically, and um, we wish his wife Anna and the rest of his family um, our condolences. And um, yeah, it just was a sad bit of news that we got this morning. Thank you for that, and it, and it is very sad when you're part of these associations and you remember serving with these members and something happens to them, you wish you could have done more, and that is why these associations are getting life. We're seeing so much more, and lucky you have a story to tell us that we're going to touch on just now, how the association came to your rescue during one of South Africa's most troubling times, and that was the time during the <coughs> pandemic. But before we get there, I want to talk about you as lucky. When I look at you, and if you were to pass me in the street, and I don't actually know what a Ricky's is meant to look like, but you you would not look to me as being somebody that had gone through that intense training and landed up with that accolade of being able to call oneself a Ricky. Tell us your story. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Uh, my story started at the municipal police way back in 1986. After my matric, I could not afford to go to the university. Then uh, there was the recruitment by the uh, Octet Police that I've joined, and I end up in Lens, where when we were busy with the training at Lens, we were recruited by uh, Special Forces to go and do their basic training in a place called Savong in Palabora. That's where my Special Forces career started. Tell us a little bit about the training. Uh, the training was very interesting. Uh, fortunate for us, we were just coming in from the police training. So we were not as raw as uh, green CVs as it used to be to called, but uh, we're a little bit uh, prepared physically and mentally. But uh, when we get to special forces, it really uh, you really need to dig deep into your mental capacity because uh, their training was, uh, was very challenging. We are the first group uh, to be trained by special forces where we did our basics. And then after doing our basics, then we prepare for the big one, which is the selection to become a Special Forces members. Tell us a little bit about your selection journey. My selection journey was very interesting. Uh, we were taken back to uh, a training ground called uh, Dugudugu. You moved away from uh, one Reiki, which was the mother unit to Dugudugu. We get to Dugudugu uh, from different backgrounds, uh, you know, I was just coming from Venda and then uh, getting exposed to these uh, different nationalities, uh, black and white colored. What I can tell you about the training, it does not discriminate. It was uh, just fair for everyone. And uh, there is a lot of stories that have happened there in those trainings where we start to find ourselves as young guys, uh, Afrikaners guys who are coming from the farms 
and ourselves who are coming from the rural areas, there is that uh, thing of wanting to test each other's strength. I remember there is this particular incident when uh, one guy did not do his punishment, and the punishment was to dig the deep uh, pest lilies so that uh, you are done with your with your with your dirty. But this other guy did not dig KK Kekana. But uh, the next morning, he go and stand on the peace lily that was digged by Bosov, who was an Afrikaans guy. And then uh, Bosov, then when the instructors come, KK outspeak uh, Bosov, and uh, the instructor ended up believing that KK have digged uh, the peace lily hole. In the end of the day, when we continue with our cycle, we go to another training where we did the water orientation, and KK was not... Uh, so good with the swimming. And then when the instructor says to the uh, group, choose a person that you want to become your buddy, Bosov say, KK is going to be my buddy. <laughs> Get KK to be his buddy. And then uh, as KK agreed, for, KK already forgotten about what he did uh, some months ago. Then uh, Bosov said, KK, do you remember Dugu Dugu when you said to Sergeant Major that I did not dig the, the, the <laughs> hole? that I was supposed to dig. KK said, I remember. He says, yeah, now it's payback time. <laughs> then KK says, I'll do everything that you want me to do. And then, uh, including starting from today, I'll call you my boss. <laughs> <laughs> that is part of the stories that develop when we're doing this training. But uh, all of it, at the end of the day, we develop the spirit of brotherhood, the spirit of camaraderie. When we are then finished with this training, these guys becomes our buddies. We go out to visit in Deben together and then uh, as brothers, uh, not talking about color at the moment, but as now brothers, brothers in arms. So lucky you took the words out of our mouth, Mark. There's this camaraderie, there's this brotherhood, and it's something that one doesn't just develop. There has to be those trials, those tribulations, the good times, the bad times. You're quite right, and... Uh what happens through the selection and the training, that's the one side of it. But once you go out and you're on active operations together, there's a brotherhood that gets formed there that is much, much stronger than any other relationship you could ever have with anyone after that. And um, sometimes I've been in conversations with people or the families of members of our association or Reikis or even their wives, and they, they struggle to understand what this bond is that these guys have. And, um, yeah. It's a bond that's forged, forged in fire, to take a cliche, but that's exactly what it is. Today I have the complete and utmost honor of chatting to not one, but two qualified recce operators. When we come back, we're going to be talking more about today and what the association is doing. And something that, <coughs> that has always intrigued me, and that is not just a South African phenomenon. It's very big in America as well, and that's the phenomenon of stolen valor. You're listening to the Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. In conversation with Lucky Chuambia and Mark Natilovitz, two qualified recce operators, something that so many people have spoken about over the years and not many people really know the truth behind it. And it's a standing joke in South Africa that no matter what pub you go to, there's going to be somebody with one too many that's going to claim to have been a recce. Something we want to chat about a little bit later in the show. Before we get there, Mark, 
when you joined, it was six years that the special forces had been basically moving towards having a fully fledged regiment, fully fledged training facilities, etc. You joined at a very interesting stage. It was also just two years after the 1976 riots. Tell us about your journey. So um, from uh, an early age, I wanted to join the military and uh, started out in the infantry. And in my first year in the infantry at, uh, at the infantry school, I met um, two legendary guys uh, who were young corporals in the special forces at the time, one who since passed away, Andre Didricks. And the other one was Don Fonsale. And I met them there, and that's the first time I actually found out that there's such a thing called the Special Forces. And um, from that moment, I thought, okay, that's where I need to be. Just my application forms were never getting through. So eventually on another course where I bumped into them again, I managed to channel my application forms in. And instead of returning to my own unit, as I should have, I went AWOL and went on the on the Special Forces selection. I passed selection a few months after the 1977 Iaki battle where the Rekis took a, a lot of, we lost a lot of our colleagues in a few minutes in a, in a bloody battle. And, um, we were about 90 guys that started the pre-selection screening and we were six guys that finished. And, um, basically the six of us were pushed through the last few courses with a group ahead of us and sent straight out into operations. So that's how I got involved. During our time, there were once you qualified, there were no formal parades and handing out of badges and stuff like that. We basically um, arrived back in Durban, went for a shower, went to the pub, introduced ourselves to the serving guys. Their mouths and their smiles said welcome, and their eyes said, um, "Okay, we'll still check you out and see whether you cut the whether you cut from the right cloth." Do the MPs ever catch up to you for that RTU? No, 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 I think they're still looking for me. <laughs> and tell me, that, that two-liner you mentioned, Fonsell, is he the famous Fonsell that became Sergeant Major of the Army at a stage? No, no, no. So that's Don Fonsell. He, um, he became an officer eventually and commander of 1-1 uh, Commando. And uh, after finishing his time in the Army, he opened a security business, which he sold. And today he runs a very, very nice hotel in the Transkine. I think Special Forces being one of the smallest, if not the smallest unit in the Defence Force, has the proud accolade of having two of its members become Sergeant Majors of the Army and later Sergeant Majors of the Defence Force. Of course, Moorcroft being one, and I think the other was a Fonsell. I just can't remember his first name. Uh, no, can't remember, no. But Sergeant Major Chris Moorcroft, of course, is an absolute legend in uh, the Reiki times, and... Uh, and he tragically lost his wife uh, just a few months ago. But he himself, uh, of course, the age of 80, 81, heading for 81 now, is as fit as a fiddle and uh, taking tours, 4 by 4 tours into Angola, training youngsters as rangers, like on private courses to, to teach leadership. And uh, he's also been involved in training the special forces of various countries around Africa. And he also had the esteemed honor of becoming Sergeant Major um, as a staff sergeant at a very young age, and I think when you were at Fort Torpes, he must have still been there. Yeah. You're talking now um, also about maybe um, Davies, Devil De Beer, who uh, really became the godfather in a way of Fort Torpes and uh, was the past master of tracking bushcraft survival, and he, he was the closest thing that one could come to a, a white guy being a bushman. I think all of us have read the, the Peter Stiff books and have wanted to learn so much more about this. And it was very closed off for a very long time. 
um, because Ricky's had this close-knit, this close bond, they didn't want to talk so much about what they did. That seems to have changed. Lucky, your family, were they interested in what you were doing? Did they understand what it was to be a Ricky? Thank you very much for that question. Uh, when I joined Special Forces, it was around 86. During that time, it was uh, very difficult to communicate to your family effectively that you are in these special forces because of the political situation. So my family was not privy. They only know years after I qualified, after 1994, that I'm actually in special forces. Mark, why now do we hear the stories? Are people willing to talk about them? You have these incredible evenings where people come and they talk about their experiences and they share it with the public at large. Anybody can attend these functions. Well, I think that... um we do it, number one, to set the record straight because, as you said before, there are so many people running around uh, pretending to be something they're not. But also there comes a time when uh, enough time has passed so that uh, one can talk about certain operations and certain activities and certainly selection, brotherhood, friendship that the guys have developed. But having said that, uh, the special forces today is still active operationally and although we can speak about it in general terms the specifics of those operations are certainly not being spoken about and brought out into the open and uh, there's some interesting things going on and I think very few people in South Africa are aware that the South African Special Forces today are active in many parts of Africa in intense combat and and, uh, very high risk operations So of course there's what happened in car we can't get away with the fact that our our boys were outnumbered immensely. They received no support in respect of the, the other peacekeepers that weren't very far from them. Um, it almost reminds me of the story of the the situation in Srebrenica where there was another group of, of individuals that wouldn't get involved. And our boys went through absolute hell in car. And I think maybe that started again igniting an interest that, the Rekis are still around. They do still exist. Do you think the training is the same? Look, I think that um, the training is very, very professional and very intensive. And certainly the training course that the guys do is a lot longer than the training course that I did. We we um, basically were just pushed through the machine and rushed out there as quickly as possible. So today uh, the guys are doing probably an 18, 20-month cycle. Recently I was privileged enough to be at a passing out parade of um, – of new special forces operators, which was a very, very, um, very moving event and very well put together. And uh, can tell you, I won't mention the numbers here, but there was a very small percentage of guys that qualified from the initial guys that started the 18-month cycle. And, um, you know, if one goes on to some of the stories of how the special forces operating today, so um, you talk about car, so I'll just talk in broad terms about one, one interesting incident, there's a guy, uh, I'll just call him Solly, that is his nickname. He's an officer in the Special Forces, and um, while the guys were fighting there, and for those who don't know, there was like a three-day battle against thousands of, uh, of insurgents, rebels, whatever, and very few paratroopers and Special Forces guys there in that fight. And um, this particular guy, Solly, was online with the Special Forces headquarters on a cell phone trying to like convey information back of what's going on. And at some point, he switched the phone off. And a few minutes later, he came back on the phone. And the general in the HQ was 
angry with him. How can you put the phone down? We were in the middle of giving me information. And the guy said, well, I, I just got shot and there was no one to help me. So I had to put my own bandage on and my own drip up and then, then I could make the phone call again. So this is the kind of uh, people that we're dealing with. Um, they're, they're tough, they're calm, and uh, it's the kind of actions they take under fire. Lucky, when we started today's conversation, I mentioned I wanted to move into the association and those that are no longer active members of special forces, those that have moved into Civvy Street, they're doing other things, and how this association has come together not to help those necessarily in financial distress, but to help as a brotherhood. And you have a very interesting story. Thank you so much. I am actually the living example of uh, what this uh, group meant to do, as they've done to me. Uh, I got attacked by COVID last year, and then I was sitting there in my own house and uh, not wanting any to, anything to do. I was just feeling tired. And uh, somewhere, somehow, one of the members, uh, who is our uh, guy responsible of the social and the welfare of the uh, individuals in the group, Andrew Kelly, he just noticed that I'm not participating in the group activities. And then uh, he informed other members to say he cannot pick up my activities for a couple of weeks now. Fortunate for me, uh, where I stay, there was a guy who put up his hand and he says, I stay close by Lucky. I'm going to go and check up on him. The guy come and check up on me. To cut the long story short, this guy come and basically interrogate me about my wellness and everything. At the end of this interrogation, he asked me, what day was it today, Lucky? I said to him, no, you have asked me the question that I do not know what is the date and what is the day. Uh, emanating from that, then immediately the guy uh, informed the group the doctors in the group jump into action. When I step out of my house, I realized that there was five guys who were coming from Fort Hunter who have come to assess my situation and give me the necessary help. From that development, I end up then in hospital in uh, uh, Jamiston, and they still take care of me. I'm the living example of uh, when they say this group of us meant to connect, to care, and to protect. I'm the living example of that. Thank you very much. Mark, I, I get to sit with people from all walks of, of life, and I'm very fortunate that I get to speak to people such as yourselves. And we chat normally. We chat um, mano on mano. But there's something that I don't share. I've never been through what you guys have been through. Has that created a bond that you only pick up when you're sitting with one another, that you each have that little flicker? Um, yeah, I guess it is. It is the case. And um, like as Lucky was telling his story, uh, it uh, was actually moving for me because um, uh, it just shows that that bond does exist and that um, and that the guys truly, truly, truly do care for each other and do take steps to make sure that everyone is well. And we do do that in a very organized way. We have uh, the Special Forces Association is our membership organization, but we've uh, created a few other organizations as well to help us. So we have the South African uh, Special Forces Heritage Association, which has been put together to protect our heritage, the badges, the heraldry. Um, the logos, the names, all that sort of stuff that we have to protect. Also the stories. And uh, we're busy um, with a project to kick off a virtual museum that will be created. And then we also have something that we call uh, Reiki Inc., which is a PTY Limited. It's a company that's been put together to actually use our badges 
etc., so that commercially, so that they cannot be stolen anyway, and also to raise money for the organisation. So what happens there? We have what we call brand use agreements, where somebody can, either an ex special forces member or anybody, literally can come along uh, with a business idea of some sort to create an event or an activity of some sort, or have a product, and they can sell it under the the Recky brand in return for. Um, the wreck is getting some of the value back. Of course, we don't just give out that um, that privilege to just anyone. It has to be a quality product or a quality event. So just some examples, the Conqueror Caravan guys, they've got their, their top-of-the-range off-road caravan is the Recky Caravan. You buy that, some of the money will come back to the special forces. Um, Sharp Edge, uh, Stan Gordon's business, they've got a product range which are Recky branded. You buy some of those products, it comes back to us. And then we've got something very exciting which we call the Recky Raid, which is um, takes place in the Dahlstrom area every May. We have uh, mountain bike rides and uh, trail running events, which are very, very tough, some of them. And those also, uh, that event is there to just have fun, of course, but also to raise money for the special forces. Let's talk about serving members at the moment and members that are leaving because it's, it would leave a massive vacuum in one's life. If you have somebody who's just left, is there a mentorship type program available to these members or, or do you make your association available to them? And secondly, members that are still currently serving, do they in any way receive any benefit by the association? Yeah, so just quickly, what's, what's quite interesting is that, um, I guess many people are not aware that uh, the special forces, as I said earlier, are very operational all over Africa. And um, I'll just give some interesting examples uh, that I've got here. So first of all, a few years ago, the South African special forces were deployed as part of the UN in uh, the Eastern DRC, fighting against the M23 guerrilla movement. And there was a South African special forces sniper at the time who was wounded in action, but still uh, managed to kill six M23 officers with a sniper shot, which at the time, it was well over 2,000 meters, was the sixth furthest recorded sniper shot in action at the time. I think it's still lurking around about the eighth furthest shot ever. So that's quite significant. And uh, he was actually told to withdraw out of his position and refused to withdraw because he was understood the importance of the job that he's doing. Uh, we also, uh, the current commander of the of five special forces regiment was sent for cross training in the United States on the Ranger course. Finished first on that course, and uh, I think that that those are just some examples of the quality of people that we have in the special forces. At the moment, the guys are heavily deployed in um, in Mozambique, and uh, tragically, last year at the end of November, Corporal Radebe Tabocha Radebe was killed in action, and. Um, he was the first South African Special Forces soldier to be killed in action since Harry, uh, um, Harry Carstens in uh, 1989. And um, when we attended his funeral, his funeral took place in uh, Poru in the Free State and visited his family, his mother and his sister there. We could see these were very humble people from a humble background in a small, small town in the Free State. And... Uh, and it led us all to realize that the guys that are currently serving in the special forces are youngsters. They come from all over con the country, from all works of life, 
from the cities, from the rural environments, the small towns. And these guys and their families are all over the country and they need support. And so we're busy mobilizing ourselves in order to uh, draw as many of our of the current serving members in to become associate members of the Special Forces Association, this with the support of the South African Special Forces, and to reach out to their families and to see how we can support them. Lucky, would it be difficult for somebody leaving the Special Forces to enter Civvy Street? Yeah, I would say it will depend on what he's doing. Uh, for my case, uh, I didn't go far from what I was doing in the uh, military. I still apply my uh, military skill in the civilian capacity. Uh, it, it depends on what are you doing when you are getting out to the civil street. And uh, the fortunate thing that we've got now is uh, this association that we've got. We have got a umbilical cord that links to the current serving members as uh, the members who are no longer serving in the, in the military. Lucky touched on a very interesting point there, Mark, is the fact that the skill set that he learned, he's using a part of it in Civvy Street, and the same applies to you. That's correct, and it's, but it's not, it's not the only thing that people end up doing, and I think that part of our challenge has to be that we need to, um, we need to, to draw the guys into the association and mentor them and help them and help them get to, to get on in, in civilian life. And now in our association, we've got some guys who haven't done as well as they could have or maybe have not been as lucky as others, but we've got some people that have done extremely well in, uh, in private business and have done really, really well. So in uh, Fort Hunter, which is the Johannesburg chapter, we've got guys that are working in the security industry and we've got guys that are running um, construction businesses and guys that are that are carpenters or all kinds of stuff, electronics businesses. So there's, there's quite a wide range of um, what the people do. But, but I guess um, the longer you've been in and the more you've been focused on, on developing only one skill set, the more assistance you need in trying to... Uh, Recalibrate yourself and use your innate strengths and uh, skills in a different field. Today we're talking special forces with two ex-operators, Lucky Trombier and Mark Natilovitz. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. Today we're talking about something that's so very important yet gets spoken about in the strangest of places, gets spoken about around laces get spoken about in pubs, and a lot of the time the people don't actually understand the reality of what it is and what it was to become a special forces operator. Lucky, when I talk about the bond that I see that exists between um, people that served in the special forces, and I'm fortunate that I know a lot, so I get to see these individuals on occasion, would you say that bond is formed during the training or is that bond formed during the context? Thank you so much. Uh, I think the bond started way back when you start with your training. You start to understand each other and you start to understand that uh, you need each other. The, the training of special forces, in fact, actually focuses on the fact that you, you cannot function as an individual, but you function, there should be cohesion in the unit. So that, that's where that bond is uh, started. And that bond grows the more you start to operate together, then you start to understand each other, and that bond grows. Uh, what you do when you are out there in the field, you realize that you need each other, you need each other. So that flows over the now, after we have served, we still have got that in us to say, 
we need each other. He was my brother's keeper then, and he's still my brother's keeper now. Mark, you and I had a, uh, had a conversation a couple of weeks ago about the importance of the security industry in South Africa. And a percentage of our current security industry is drawn from the ex-police and military type forces. And we're seeing that they are playing such a massive role in both training other security officers as well as responding and planning to counter the criminal threat that's taking place in South Africa. Do you think that that role can be expanded on within the security industry considering the amount of skill set that exists right now within the industry? Um, Thank you for that question. It's a very important question. Just if I may, want to just follow on from what Lucky was saying about the bond of the guys. And uh, today we were privileged that uh, there's a colleague of mine from way back in 1978 to 1979 who just started work at Cortac this morning. And uh, I remember saying to the guys, so he walked into the office for the first day, and I said, said to the guys there, luckily I know this guy better than he knows himself or better than I know myself. So all we need to do is just brief him on what the job's about. I don't have to try and understand who he is, what what he's about, what he, what makes him tick, um, can I rely on him, can't I rely on him. That's That's all done and dusted. There's no long interview process and screening process for a guy like him because I know who I'm dealing with. And that's 45 years. 45 years. That's right. Now, you see, that's what I'm talking about. There's this thread that will run through you and your fellow members where you have this inherent trust because of what you've been through together. Sure. Yeah, he he was in my team. We were on operations together for two years. And uh, I don't have to look over... Then and now, I don't have to look over my shoulder to see if he's there. And now you can answer my question. Okay. So there's no doubt that there's quite a few ex-military, ex-police people involved in the security industry. As Lucky was saying, it's uh, natural that people uh, with that skill set will move into that area. Now, um, uh, yesterday, by chance, I was watching uh, a YouTube video, and I saw an old carte blanche uh, program where they were interviewing the chief of the National Defense Force and uh, about a few things. And one of them was the fact that the National Defense Force has to start getting more more involved in uh, in policing the nation, as it were, was one of the, the points that came up. Now, the South African security industry is massive, half a million people, in excess of half a million people. And as we discussed a few weeks ago, not all at, this, at the same standard, but there's no doubt that that um, there's, a, there's a rich experience and a, and a, and a, a deep skill set that's sitting there with the ex-police and ex-military type people that can really, really contribute to making South Africa a safer place. The, the point is just how does one organize that in a, in a better way? I think for me, anecdotally, and just to um, promote a competitor in a way, but a friend as well, uh, there's a guy, Valdeval, from Bidvest Protea Coin, when uh, in his previous company they were very involved in the cash and transit industry and Valdeval came out of 101 Battalion and then he was also involved in the Special Forces in some way at one stage. And I like to think that a guy like him really led the war against the cash and transit heists at that time and very successfully. And today he's leading a program called E2, Ears and Eyes, where he gets all the security companies together with Business Against Crime um, involved together on the working in um, working in cooperation to fight crime, 
So there's a guy that not only has a skill set, but he's got the leadership capabilities and he's got the resources and he's making a massive difference. The point is, how do we get this more organized, more streamlined in order to better protect the citizens of our country? So now we're going to move on to the topic of today, and that's the fact that what I've been doing today, people can do at an upcoming event. They're going to be able to sit and chat to operators, chat to people who are currently in the Defense Force, other Defense Force, and there's a whole rationale behind having this gala dinner, and that's to not just educate the public, but more importantly to help capacitate current members and to assist members that are in need. Let's talk about that. Sure. So the history of the Special Forces started um, in South Africa, started kind of in 1969 when there were a few individuals that were pulled together and sent on special operations on behalf of the South African uh, Defense Force at the time. And uh, and then um, the first, the Dirty Dozen got formed, which was really eventually only 11 guys. But, you know, we're not so good at arithmetic. And they were the founding members of the South African Special Forces. The official founding of the South African Special Forces was when one reconnaissance commander was created in Oteran on the 1st of October 1972. Uh, in 1975, they moved to Durban. And then with time, the other units got created. And the history of the, of the South African National Defense Force Special Forces evolved. So... This uh, October, the 1st of October 2022, is actually the 50th anniversary of the founding of the South African Special Forces. And the South African Special Forces Brigade and the association are working together, putting together a whole lot of events to celebrate the South African Special Forces. And it's culminating on the Saturday night, the 1st of October, with a gala dinner. Now, the purpose of the gala dinner is to celebrate the South African Special Forces. But as far as I'm concerned, the purpose is to raise money. We want to raise money so that we can better serve our members, look after our veterans, look after the families of our of the youngsters that are serving in Mozambique, in the DRC, and all of those kind of places. And um, it's going to be a, a fantastic event, 400 people. There will be some important people there. And, uh, yeah, you'll hear a little bit about our history and get the opportunity to meet members in the, of the Special Forces and uh, veterans of the Special Forces and uh, celebrate together with us. Lucky, what I find incredible is that the Special Forces were formed in what was then the South African Defence Force and they're still now part of the South African National Defence Force doing exactly what they were doing then, fighting to preserve life, fighting against known enemies like what we've heard about in Carl, what we've heard about in Goma, what we've heard about in northern Mozambique. For you there must still be this this great sense of pride. Thank you. I'm I'm very proud to have served in this uh, organization. I'm very proud to have been part of this unique uh, dynamic uh, family. When uh, we were in when one Reiki nineteen 91, I think it was 1992, we had the privilege of get a visit from the Secretary of Defense. But that time there was still a lot of uncertainty about the new South Africa. When he came to address us there in our auditorium, he looked at us and uh, one Ricky was uh, a unit that was having all the nationalities that you have got in South Africa. And he says, when we talk about uh, the new South Africa, this is what we're talking about. And it was not only the fact that we were different race and colors, but it was because one Reiki was like a, a family. It was like a, you feel like you are home. 
that was the the spirit that was there in our unit. I am proud that I've served in this organization. Mark, the, the 50th gala anniversary, we, we've been punting this on social media because I think it's an incredible opportunity for people to celebrate an incredible organization, but more importantly, in some aspects, to learn more. Tell us more about the actual event and how people can get involved. Sure. So the event um, will take place at the Houghton Hotel. And um, uh, on the night, we, we're going to try and keep the formalities to an absolute minimum. So although there'll be some important people there, the formalities will be kept to a minimum. But there'll be one or two speeches, uh, one by the chairman of the South African Special Forces Association, and then one by Kali Ruas, who will give a little bit of some highlights of the history of the organization and some of the personalities that really stood out in our history, and uh, a couple of videos about the organization as well. And really, it, what we what we're aiming for is more for an opportunity for us for people who wish to support us to interact informally with uh, with the guys that are going to be the, the serving members and the veterans. Lucky, I want to take this opportunity to thank you, um, firstly, for joining us today and for still being with us. That COVID scare is 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 something that nobody wanted to go through, and I'm really glad you pulled through. And the fact that it was through both your tenacity and the will of your brothers speaks volumes. Thank you so much. I think it was an honor and privilege to be here in your station today. And uh, to your listeners, they are listening to our story. I also like to take this opportunity to thank uh, Special Forces uh, Association and uh, also, Mark, uh, when the guys here, I'm going to the radio with you, some of them felt an opportunity to let me tell you that uh, we are very grateful of your leadership at uh, Fort Hunter and at uh, Sashwa as a whole, and what you're contributing. The families of the uh, veterans benefit a lot from what is done by this organization. Thank you very much. Mark, the Americans say it at every opportunity. We don't get to say it enough. So I'd like to thank you both for your service. Thank you. Um, everybody does there, but the, everyone contributes what they feel they can and what they can. And uh, I also feel very privileged to have had the opportunity to have served together with guys like Lucky and have done what we did and that we continue to do together. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much. If you enjoyed today's conversation, we will be uploading a recording of our live chat to www.chaifm.com. It will be the full conversation, and it's a very interesting conversation. If you want to know more about the upcoming event, go to the Confidential Brief Radio Show Facebook page. All the details are there, who to contact, how you can book, how you can get involved. And if it's something that's always intrigued you, like it's intrigued me, then I suggest you get hold of the organizers and book your tickets.